0: Media. Chris Graham, I want to first of all say a warm thank you from one independent media outlet to another uh, for all the great work New Matilda has done and continues to do. It's great to have you on the show. Oh,
1: thanks Alex, it's nice of you to say.
0: You wrote the day after the Four Corners report into abuse at the Dondale Juvenile Detention Centre that, and I quote, the most shocking thing about last night's Four Corners expose into juvenile detention in the Northern Territory is that anyone is actually shocked. We had the same reaction when the inevitable revelations emerged about torture, rape and abuse on Nauru. Are our memories really that short? Are we really that naive a nation? We'll come back to the Dondale story itself in a moment, Chris, but uh, what, in your opinion, accounts for this strange, selective outrage, really, that we saw in the wake of the report, particularly among white Australians?
1: I honestly don't really know. I mean, I followed Aboriginal affairs for a long time and this happens all the time where... You know, the most recent example that caused this much uh, national publicity was the Northern Territory intervention and shocking revelations, again by the ABC, that um, Aboriginal children were being abused in Aboriginal communities. Now, the claims were completely overblown by the ABC in in desperately unethical ways. But Aboriginal leaders had been warning about poverty and. Um, abuse and neglect particularly neglect in aboriginal communities for decades there had been numerous reports written by aboriginal and non-aboriginal people which warned of it so you know the don dale story um is essentially the same there were numerous reports warning of this and this is the a feature of aboriginal affairs but it's like it, i had a friend refer to it once as fishbowl journalism and when you expand it more it's more than just journalism obviously but Fishbowl journalism is where a fish swims around a fishbowl and forgets what he's seen, does a lap, comes back and thinks it's a whole new environment again. And that, is, that describes Aboriginal affairs very well, not just reporting, but the broader Australian understanding of what goes on in, um, in you know, not even remote parts of Australia, but all parts of Australia. It's perplexing. Sure. Now, tease out a little more, if
0: you could, Chris, uh, the nuances, if you like, of the outrage. I mean, clearly at one level, it's it's a totally legitimate and genuine outrage. People were appalled to see uh, the footage, very disturbing footage, obviously, in that report. Uh, so there's, if you like, the, the outrage of, of ordinary Australians. This is the hypocritical outrage, the crocodile tears uh, of our politicians who really uh, preside over the very systems that have led to to this abuse. So, I mean, talk a little more about, I guess, the positive and negative aspects of of the uh, the reaction to the story.
1: Yeah, look, it's a really good question. I, I don't, I don't, I, I heard the outrage referred to by some conservative commentators as. Faux outrage. I don't think any human could watch that footage and have faux outrage. I mean, you can't help but be outraged by it. It is particularly the footage of young Dylan Waller being slammed against a wall and then thrown onto a mattress and stripped naked by burly prison guards. He was 13 years old when that occurred. So I don't know how anybody could watch that and have a reaction other than outrage. There'd be many other reactions, but outrage would be one of them. Um, The only caveat to that, of course, is politicians who've um, who've reacted to this saying they're shocked and horrified, but they all knew it was going on. Adam Giles, the Chief Minister, knew it was going on. Um, uh, Nigel Scullion, uh, the Federal Indigenous Affairs Minister, was briefed about it last year, um, the, I mean, how anybody in, in a position of power, particularly based in the Northern Territory, couldn't know about this is staggering.
0: And, of course, Adam Giles uh, effectively endorsed these sorts of practices by notoriously calling for criminals to be thrown into a, a hole.
1: Into a concrete hole. Into and look, a, mm. 13 of the parliamentarians in the Northern Territory, including Best Price, another Aboriginal member of parliament who uh, not all that long ago suggested that prison was good for young people... Um, they all voted to allow the use of restraint chairs and spit hoods on children. Now they're all backing away from that, and they've all and and the Northern Territory government has removed permission for that to be done. But they all voted for this. They they all stood in Parliament and voted for it, and now claim. They didn't know.
0: Sure, and that obviously raises the question of accountability. And in relation to this announcement of a Royal Commission, first of all, your thoughts on the Royal Commission itself, Chris, do you think it will be a useful exercise or a kind of safety valve for the outrage? And and what sort of measures of accountability uh, would you like to see uh, in this matter?
1: Well, I think, look, I was initially a supporter of the concept of the Royal Commission, I think it was done hastily by Malcolm Turnbull to try and stop it becoming a national issue outside of the Northern Territory, and I think that's problematic because this occurs not just in the Northern Territory, but uh, children are abused in prisons all around the country. Um, And interestingly, the most, I think, intelligent response I've heard from a politician on the issue of the Royal Commission actually comes from Ken Wyatt who's based over there in Perth um, uh, he's, a, he's a Liberal uh, member but also an Aboriginal man and the point he made to me in an interview last week was that um, the, the, the Royal Commission should be allowed to run its course but what really needs to be focused on is the previous Royal Commission we had mm. it was the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Descent Custody was reported in 1991 that handed down 339 recommendations, only about 50% of, of which in varying jurisdictions have ever been fully implemented. And didn't lead to a
0: single no, prosecution of any uh, police officer never. or custodial officer?
1: Never. Uh, it's never happened. And but the, but the recommendations of the review haven't been implemented either. And one of the most important recommendations was that if you want to stop Aboriginal people dying in jail, you need to stop locking up Aboriginal people at record levels. Now, since that Royal Commission uh, reported, um, Aboriginal incarceration skyrocketed. In fact, in WA, it's eight and a half times greater than the jailing rate of black males under apartheid South Africa. In fact, WA has the highest Indigenous jailing rate on Earth. Mm. So, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that brings me to my next question, Chris, that uh, certainly... A lot of people, at least people who pay attention to this incredibly important issue, recognise these statistics, the the over-incarceration rates and so on, and the numbers themselves can be overwhelming, can be numbing in a sense. Paint a picture for us, if you would, of the kind of impact that that interface of uh, Indigenous kids and indeed uh, uh, adult Indigenous people, that interface with the state, the police, the courts and so on. What impact uh, does that have on the lives of Indigenous people and indeed on uh, Indigenous communities?
1: Oh, look, it's devastating. I mean, the statistics are utterly undeniable here. You've got more Aboriginal people go to prison than go to tertiary education. Uh, I mean, no, there's no greater statistical condemnation of of how a people uh, have fared in a country. It's just appalling. Um, if you look around Aboriginal communities, they're decimated by incarceration. Um, yes, there are problems in, those com- in in many Aboriginal communities, not all, but in many there are problems. Um, but they are the legacy of 200 years of brutal colonisation. And to blame these people for their poverty and their circumstances is extraordinary. I mean, in WA, you're just planning to, to rip out funding for over 100 remote Aboriginal communities, even though While they live in poverty in those communities, they're still healthier and happier than than if they live in larger towns. So, but it's not just restricted to WA. Of course, Um, South Australia is uh, exactly is in a very very similar position in the APY land, Mm. Um, and the underfunding in Aboriginal communities is. Breathtaking and inevitably when you have areas of high poverty, you have areas of high dysfunction and crime and and the obvious follow on from that is that you will have extremely high incarceration rates and clearly the way to fix it is to properly fund um, Aboriginal communities.
0: No doubt. It's instructive uh, that there isn't the similar outrage to that announcement of the closure of, of remote Aboriginal communities. You've touched there, Chris, on the, this uh, notion or this widespread perception, unfortunately, of sheeting the blame home uh, for Aboriginal crime and incarceration rates to the lack of parental responsibility. We saw this uh, uh, dreadful cartoon in The Australian by Bill Leake basically sheeting home the blame for, for Aboriginal uh, juvenile crime to, to Aboriginal fathers. Uh, we've seen, you know, Noel Pearson uh, go on late line, t- saying that Aboriginal people need to take more responsibility for the way they raise their kids and so on. Uh, your, your comments on that, uh, if you like, cultural problem of perception uh, that somehow the, the real problems here are with the way, you know, the way Aboriginal people raise their kids.
1: The only look, the only way to get to that conclusion is to ignore two hundred and thirty almost years, two hundred twenty eight years of. Australian history, and that's the only way you can come to the conclusion that Aboriginal people are responsible for their circumstance. I, I can understand what, how how people end up with Noel Pearson thinking, which is, you know, it's to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, all you need is a, you know, good firm hand, and you'll be fine. Great theory, but it works for about five percent of the population. The rest of the population and not able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps because what they've endured is so horrific. And that's the really, really gut-wrenching part of all this, that so many Australians are unable to put themselves um, in Aboriginal shoes and suppose for a minute where they might end up um, if they had a similar uh, history. And not just a personal history, but an intergenerational history where their families were... Uh, They had children taken away. They were prevented from earning wages. They were prevented from working. Um, In many cases, they acted as slaves. They were denied the opportunity to build generational wealth like uh, all other Australians were able to do. People need to stop and think where they might end up if that was their personal history uh, and the history of their ancestors. And the answer is inescapably that they would end up in poverty. And if they're in poverty, they're far more likely to go to jail.
0: It's such a bleak story and bleak set of circumstances, isn't it, Chris? But if we could try and end on on a positive note, it strikes me that in the last few years, there's been something of a renaissance of the Aboriginal self-determination movement with the rise of the tent embassies around the country. There's a renewed push for a treaty. There's the emergence or the, the, the I shouldn't say the emergence, but the, the continuing strengthening of the sovereignty movement and so on. Speak to, if you like, the, the positive uh, things that are on the horizon for, for the Aboriginal self-determination uh, movement in a, in a broader context.
1: Well, all those things you just mentioned are uh, emerging and they yeah. are very positive. There is this rising black consciousness about not just the way that First Nations people have been treated, but, um, but, but the way out of that. Um, And you can see it, particularly on social media, but but much more broadly than that. Um, Aboriginal people um, in more prominent positions in media speaking out. And that's a really positive development, and it's a fairly recent uh, development. Social media has made it easier. Um, The other positive I would point to is that the broader Australian public is starting to shift as well. Um, I've been in Aboriginal affairs about 16 years now, and I've seen it shift in the last five years. The, the really interesting thing about the Bale story is that it's the first time ever uh, that a story uh, that of Aboriginal tragedy has held the national imagination for any significant period of time, but where Aboriginal people predominantly aren't being blamed. And, and yes, Some people have suggested it's about personal responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. But the overwhelming majority of Australians can see that Aboriginal people are not to blame for what went on in Dondale. Uh, And that's the first time I've seen um, Aboriginal people not be blamed, um, widespread blame for their circumstance. Um, It it really, it, it points to, I think, a shift in Australian views and values about The aboriginal question if you like uh there's still an incredibly long way to go and there's a very deep ignorance but there's a growing population i think of australians who are starting to listen they're younger australians and they're coming through um, with better educations than you and i probably did but it is i think starting to shift slowly but surely